today. I just want to talk with you about what it is that we can do, when, not if, when our hearts get overwhelmed, especially as we see this horrific beginning of the final prophetic chapter of human history. Now, it's important to understand that Bible prophecy is multifaceted in the sense that it provides us with information. However, we need to heed Bible prophecy vis-a-vis the application. As one so aptly said it, knowledge is just information, but wisdom is the application of that information. By way of an illustration and explanation, we can all be guilty, myself especially, of getting caught up, pun intended, <laughs> in our knowledge of Bible prophecy, but miss the personal side of it. And I'll explain what I mean by the personal side of Bible prophecy. Just witnessing its fulfillment begin to come to pass, as it even now is, can be both unsettling and overwhelming. And I'll just be very open and candid with you and say that, like many of you, this is just overwhelming when you see everything that is happening. And it is unsettling as well. But thankfully, we need look no further than to the Word of God and the God of the Word, particularly the Psalms, and specifically Psalm 61, one of my favorite Psalms, along with the other 149 Psalms, but this one in particular. And I want to just read the first four verses. We are told that this Psalm, which is a song, by the way, was to be played on a stringed instrument, likely a harp. How calming and soothing would that be? And it was to the chief musician, many believe that is to the Lord Himself. And of course, it is a Psalm of David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Listen to the words he pens by the Holy Spirit, beginning in verse 1. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I will cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings, Selah, which basically means just pause and catch your breath and take a breath and just let that kind of sink in and settle in, Selah. I wanted to start out this way because the current trajectory, prophetically, is an indicator of how it's likely to get infinitely worse in the new year. <laughs> Happy New Year. I have to tell you the truth, and I think you would agree. But God. But God hearkens under the voice of our cry from the end of the earth, as the rock higher than I, whenever my heart is overwhelmed, which as of late is sort of like all the time now. He is a shelter, and He is a strong tower from the enemy 
as I trust in the shelter of His wings. And in the end, and please note that David by the Holy Spirit is careful to include that which is to come yet future, that which awaits Him and all of us with Him, and that's eternal life. And sometimes I think we need to be reminded of that. It is a much needed reminder that we are going to live with Him for all eternity. He says, I will abide with Him forever. You know, for me personally, again, I'm just going to be very candid with you. I have to have a talk with myself. This is, I know they have clinical terms for this. It's not self-talk, it's talking with self. As oftentimes, by the way, David does in the Psalms, particularly 42 and 43, which many believe are actually one song, where he just says to himself, boy, sit down, we need to talk. And he has a talk with himself. And he says to himself, oh my soul, why be in such despair? For you will have reason to yet again praise the Lord. You be encouraged. He's talking to himself. I think some of us need to have a talk with ourselves and remind ourselves we're going to abide with him forever. Soon and very soon that trumpet's going to sound, man. Sooner than I, I think any of us think. And we who are alive and remain are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air and forever be with the Lord. Are you kidding me right now? Well, be that as it may, for now, we're still in this world. <laughs> Not of the world, but in this world that we've long overstayed our welcome as Christians, as believers in and followers of Jesus Christ. And it does seem that it's getting more and more evil with each passing day. However, and please hear me out on this, this may actually be a good thing, even a God thing. And I'll explain how I get there. It's when adversity strikes, right? Isn't that when we're more likely to look to the Lord and trust in the Lord? Let me flip it around conversely. Isn't it true that when things are going pretty good that we're less prone to do that, if at all? I'm actually convinced, I've experienced this in my own life over the years, walking with the Lord, and certainly it bears true biblically. But to me, this is one of the main reasons that God allows adversity to strike. If for no other reason, it's to get our attention, that which heretofore God has not had. But God needs to get our attention because there are things He wants to show to us and speak to us, and He wants to get our attention so He can. And when things are going good, He doesn't have our attention. This is Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But, I wish it didn't say this, <laughs> in the day of adversity, consider. Stop and consider. Surely God has appointed the one as well as the other, and here's why. So that man can find out nothing that will come after him, or as another translation renders it, therefore no one can discover anything about their future. In other words, God will package prosperity with adversity. And we're told why. Hey, when things are going good, praise the Lord, enjoy. It's the joy of the Lord. Don't apologize for it. God's blessing your life, prospering you. You're fruitful in joy. Praise the Lord. But 
I wish it would have said something along the lines of, if by chance adversity should strike, or, you know, if there was to be any kind of adversity. But it's very emphatic. It's, it's like when. I tried to look it up in the original language to see if it was softer than that, and it's worse. <laughs> Basically means it will happen, guaranteed. You can take it to the bank. Actually, don't take it to the bank. So God will allow the adversity alongside with the prosperity, the, the good times along with the bad times, so that we'll stop and consider our ways and turn our attention to Him and say, Lord, why are you allowing this? And what are you wanting me to see in this? And now God's like, okay, now I got your attention. Sorry it had to come to this. I couldn't get it any other way. So I had to allow the adversity to strike. Now that I've got your attention, there's a couple of things I need to reveal to you. See, because when things are good, we just kind of take it for granted. And we sort of buy into this notion that it's always going to be good. Tomorrow's going to be good. And God's saying, no, I, I'm going to allow the adversity to not only get your attention, but it's also to get you to fully and totally rely upon me, because you don't know what the future holds. You know who holds the future. I know what the future holds, but you don't. So when you don't know, you go to the one who does know, and that's why God allows the adversity. He wants us to know. He wants to ready us and steady us for that which is prepared for us. He prepares us for that which is prepared for us, so we're not derailed and defeated, or worse yet, destroyed, when, not if it hits, and it hits. So what is it about what's coming that God wants to get our attention so He can speak into our lives? Well, it's not good. It's not good at all. And please know that I in no way wish to scare anyone. Rather, I only seek to prepare everyone for that which Bible prophecy says is coming. And I'll take it a step further and suggest, in some measure, it's already here. It's already beginning to come to pass. And it's for this reason that Scripture is replete with exhortations concerning this aforementioned application to take heed and be ready. That's the purpose of Bible prophecy, you know. It's so that we will take heed to the prophetic warnings of what's coming, and that we would be ready, not get ready. I am personally of the belief that there's no more time to get ready. I think today is the day that we need to be ready already. Kind of got a ring to it. If you'll kindly allow me to, I want to share with you three such prophecies concerning what's coming and what's already really here, that all of us would do well to not only hear, but also heed. And in order to do that, we'll go ahead at this time and end the live stream on YouTube and Facebook and redirect you to the website if you're not already there. So please hear me on this, because this is germane to our understanding of everything that I'm going to share with you today. There is a common denominator. Let's call it a trigger, if you will. And that trigger to all of these prophecies 
is this man-made crisis. Now let me qualify that. This is a man-made crisis that was unleashed on mankind and it was, as we say, this evil plot that was hatched to rule the world, to reduce the population, and to ultimately destroy mankind. And we wrestle not against flesh and blood, or politicians, or people, or left, or right, or no, we wrestle against, Paul delineates four entities in Ephesians 6, all of which are in the spiritual realm of different rankings, with Satan at the head. And Jesus said that Satan's sole goal is to steal, kill, and destroy. And it should not come as really any surprise to us who know the Word of God, especially when it comes to Bible prophecy, that this was all foretold in Scripture. That at the time of the end, these things that we're witnessing now, as unsettling as they are, would come to pass. And they are coming to pass. So I'm going to talk about three, let's call them the big three if you want. And it is so important to understand that the trigger to execute, for lack of a better word, all of this was this, and I'm calling it this for a reason, man-made crisis, man-launched crisis. And it was pre-planned, as we know, many of us, for many decades. And it seems that this was the time in human history that the green light was given, and it was all systems go to unleash this thing and get this show on the road, if I can say it like that. The first one, and this is heartbreaking, and bear with me on this, is the condition of the church today. What if I told you that there are many passages, prophecies really, in the Bible that describe the condition of the church in the last days? What if I also told you that the condition of the church described in Bible prophecy in the last days is the condition of the church precisely today? I happened upon this WebMD article about churches requiring COVID vaccination in order to attend in-person services. I'm going to just read a couple of quotes. One Atlanta church says, you must have proof of COVID-19 vaccination to enter the building. The only exception is a doctor's note explaining why you can't get the vaccine. Along with vaccination, church members must have their temperature checked, sign a waiver, and wear a mask. I suppose this Fox News report on Monday about a CNN religious commentator advising unvaccinated people not to attend church should come as no surprise. If this weren't bad enough, also on Monday, and this is interesting, the New York Post published a report about how NASA has hired 24 theologians to study human reaction to aliens. Quoting, between heaven and earth, where do aliens fit in? Well, I, actually, I can answer that question. Pick me. They are demons. That's how they fit in. 
And this uh, revelation of aliens will be the explanation for the rapture. They were abducted by these aliens. Why are you looking at me like that? Do you, do you, do you believe that? Okay, so where do aliens fit in? That's the question that NASA hopes theologians at the Center for Theological Inquiry, CTI, in Princeton, New Jersey, can answer in a recent effort to understand how humans will react to news <laughs> that intelligent life exists on other planets. University of Cambridge religious scholar, Reverend Dr. Andrew Davison, is one of the 24 theologians enlisted to help with the project, the Times UK reported last week. Davison's upcoming book, Astrobiology and Christian Doctrine, hang on to that, Astrobiology and Christian Doctrine, due out in 2022, according to the Times, will cover part of CTI and NASA's joint spiritual exploration in which his, quote, most significant question is how theologians would respond to the notion of, and I'm quoting and listen very carefully, the notion of there having been many incarnations of Christ in the universe. Whoa! Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. Jesus said exactly that. In fact, it's almost verbatim. Many apparitions of Christ, many Christ's will come in my name. Do not be deceived. This is a deception on a satanic scale, and it's the likes of which we have never seen before in human history, nor will ever see again. And here's the thing. <laughs> the Bible says that this is exactly what will happen. One of those places the Bible says that this will happen is in Paul's second letter to Timothy, chapter 4. I want to read the first four verses. Now this is at the end of Paul's life. It's the last words he will pen. And he says by the Holy Spirit to Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of, and notice the distinction between the two, His appearing and His kingdom. That's the rapture and the second coming. His appearing, rapture, and His kingdom, second coming. I give you this charge. Preach the Word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage. No, but if I rebuke them, they won't come back. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. And here's why. For the time will come, that time is now, it has come, when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, you know what they're going to do? To suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of theologians, 24 in all, to say what their itching ears want to hear. And I'll tell you, if it wasn't here in my Bible, I wouldn't believe it. But it is, verse 4, they will actually turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths, fables, lies about aliens. That's what happens when you reject the truth. We know that from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
God himself sends this strong, powerful delusion. Why? Because they've rejected, very interesting, uh, the detail, not just the truth, the love of the truth. Therefore God will send them this strong delusion that instead they will believe the lie. Does that sound unfair or unjust? It's not. They've already sealed their fate, hardened their heart, and made up their mind. God's not going to force anyone to serve Him or love Him. And so He's just going to give them over and say, okay, well, you've made your choice. You've rejected me. The truth, Jesus is the truth. The love of the truth, the love of Jesus. So you want to believe in aliens and lies and this man-made crisis that is real, by the way, make no mistake about it, very real, whatever this is that they've unleashed. And so to me, it's one of the only things that even comes anywhere close to explaining why it is that we find articles like the ones I just shared. I mean, a church is requiring you to have been vaccinated before you can enter the front doors of the church. And they take your temperature. You have to sign a waiver. I can promise you one thing. That is a church that does not preach the Word of God. Again, that's the only thing that even comes close to explaining it. Not excusing it, explaining it. I can, I can come up with no other explanation. In Revelation chapter 3, we're familiar with this letter to this church, one of seven churches, the church of Philadelphia. Philia in the Greek is the word for brotherly love. And we're going to actually talk more about brotherly love in our Hebrew study. But the church of Philadelphia and the church of Smyrna were the only two of the seven churches that were not on the receiving end of rebuke from Jesus, who inspired John by the Holy Spirit there on the island of Patmos to write these letters. These were physical letters mailed to physical churches in Asia Minor. We know it today as modern day Turkey. So the church, you can visit the ruins, by the way, in Ephesus. You can visit the ruins of the church of Philadelphia. You can visit the ruins of all seven of these cities and churches. I wouldn't recommend it, but if you wanted to, you could. So it's very interesting what he says to this church, this loving church, who loved the truth and loved one another. He says, I know your works. See, I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it, for you have little strength. Now, at first read, you might not quite understand that as actually not a rebuke, but a compliment. In other words, I know you're barely hanging on, you guys. I know that that is going to be the condition of the last day's church. I'm always struck whenever I think about it, and I think about it often, especially as of late, where Jesus said of the seven-year tribulation, that if those days were not shortened, no flesh would survive. No human would be able to survive what's coming. So this church that is described at the time of the end, before the rapture, which by the way is coming up, spoiler alert, <laughs> pre-trib rapture, the church that's described in Bible prophecy at the time of the end is a church that is hanging on for dear life, battle weary, little strength. And they have kept 
his word, Jesus said, you have little strength, have kept my word, and have not denied my name. All three of those. I would submit that the reason why they were barely hanging on with little strength is because they did keep the word. Because they did not deny the name of Jesus, the only name given among men, the name above all names, whereby we must be saved. In verse 10 he continues, and this is a reference to the pre-tribulation rapture. Since you have kept my, and this is interesting, we talked about this, I, I might just expound on it a little bit, but since you have kept my command to endure patiently. Wait, that's a command? Yeah. Here's the thing, we want it to be a command. We do? Yeah. Why do we want it to be a command? Because John says the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. His callings are His enablings. God will never command us to do anything unless He also gives us the Holy Spirit, so that we can do that which He's commanded us to do. In other words, we almost want it to be a command, because then it rises to the level of God, including the enabling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, in order to keep the command. Because God can't not, I know this isn't proper sentence structure, God can't not do that. Can you imagine? God commands us to do something and says, okay, hope it works out. No. He will that would be evil, and God cannot tempt with evil. God cannot and will not ever put us in a situation that is conducive to us disobeying Him. In fact, the opposite is true. He will always orchestrate the circumstances in our lives and choreograph the steps of our lives so that it's conducive to our obedience to His commands. And here's the thing, and I, I, it's one of those things I wish I would have known when I was younger in my walk with the Lord, because it changed everything. What a game changer. God wants me in His will more than I myself want to be in His will. Wow! Is it not true that we're like, I need to know the will of God? Hey, good news. God wants you to be in His will more than even you want to be in His will. And God's not in heaven playing a chess game with you. Could you imagine that? Oh, you guys, get down there. JD almost figured out my will. Move the chess pieces on the board. That was close. We can't have him figuring it out. No, he directs us. He redirects us. He protects us. He guides our every step so that we're in step with him. So when we read my command to endure patiently, oh, it's a command, but the Holy Spirit will give me the endurance to endure patiently. Those are two interesting words by themselves, aren't they? It's not just enduring, enduring patiently. That's on a whole new level. Because <laughs> sometimes I, I'm white knuckling it in my endurance, just like, Ugh! no, you're commanded to endure patiently. I don't do good with patience, and neither do you, so don't look at me all spiritual. But isn't patience a fruit of the Holy Spirit? Not a gift. I wish it were a gift. Actually, I wish it were a pill. Just take a patience pill. And... Well, it's a fruit. And fruit, here's the thing with fruit, it takes time to grow. Yeah, but I need me some of that there, endurance and patience. How am I going to get it? <laughs> well, as we're going to see when we get into the book of James, can't wait if we're still here. <laughs> but the endurance and the patience come by, you ready for it? Wait for it. 
It comes by enduring patiently. I wish there were another way. Oh God, I need patience. Okay. Here comes the trial. Oh God, I need endurance. Okay. Here comes the trial. But since you have kept my command, let that sink in. You have obeyed my command to endure patiently. I will also keep you from the hour of trial or tribulation. Same word in the original that is going to come on the whole world. That's the seven year tribulation to test the inhabitants of the earth. And then he says this, and this is interesting, and I'll expound on this again as well. I think it would be appropriate at this time. He says, I am coming soon. Some of your translations render that word quickly. In the original language of the Greek New Testament, that's the word takos, where we get our English word for tachometer which is that meter in the car that measures rotations or revolutions per minute, RPMs. The time is set, one minute. The revol revolutions are not. What Jesus is saying is, <laughs> I'm coming at a time when things are revving up, redlining, and things are about to blow up and you're about to go up. That wasn't in my notes, so I am coming quickly. Hold on to what you have, so that no one will take your crown. Sadly, the prophecy concerning the condition of the church describes precisely the condition of the church today. Let's talk about the condition of global governments today. Dare I say that the global governments today are on the verge of total collapse. And it's evidenced by articles like this one from the Financial Times about how business leaders are warning that the global supply chain is now at risk of collapse. In it they say, and I'm quoting, global supply chains are at risk of collapse unless governments worldwide, worldwide, restore freedom of movement to transport workers and give them prior priority over vaccines. They're not going to do that, because the reason why they started this whole thing was to do exactly this, to collapse the global governments, because we've got to get this show on the road. Because when the Antichrist, who's already on the scene, is revealed after the church is removed, He's going to have control over all of the world's governments. And this is what I mean by trigger. This crisis was the trigger. Can we call it a switch? Is that better for some? Trigger is kind of, whoa, be careful with that word, whatever. Okay, it's the switch. In an open letter, still quoting, to heads of state and government attending the United Nations General Assembly, the International Chamber of Shipping and other transport groups warned that almost two years of travel bans and other restrictions had had an enormously detrimental impact on transport workers' well-being and safety. Perfect. It's working. That was exactly our intended purpose. We have to destroy the governments of the world to usher in the one world government, exactly as the book of Revelation says, particularly in chapter 13, a chapter we know well. Let me draw your attention to verse 7. It was granted to him, speaking of the Antichrist, to make war with the saints and to overcome them and, listen, authority was given him over every tribe 
tongue, and nation. Every nation on earth, every tribe, every tongue. He has complete authority and control over. For those that are interested, we did an update on the last ruling empire of man. We find it in Daniel. We also find it in Revelation, where the whole world, all the nations of the earth, even now, by the way, it's already mapped out, will be divided into 10 sectors or regions. And they will have 10 kings. It's Daniel's 10 toes and Revelation's 10 horns. 10 kings will rule over these 10 regions. And all of these 10 rulers will give their allegiance to the Antichrist, who will have complete authority over them, all of the nations, all of the governments. So you see, at the end of 2019 and into 2020, that was the time that they made the decision to go ahead and flick the switch, pull the trigger, whatever metaphor you want to use. And, and it's going exactly as they had hoped and as God in His Word had prophesied. And by the way, let this maybe settle some unsettled hearts. <laughs> Everything that's happening today is going perfectly according to God's prophetic plan. I mean, it is perfect, right on schedule, right on schedule. Never imagine for a moment God's in heaven going, what did they do now? When did this happen? No, this is exactly. And by the way, this should not come as any surprise either. Everything that they are doing, God is allowing them to do. That's why they're doing it because ultimately it serves His purpose in the end. They couldn't, <laughs> in Daniel, I, I love it, when they, they say to this king, the, the God that you're blaspheming is the same God that holds your next breath in His hand. You mean He could withhold that breath? Yeah. And when he does, it's game over. Well, lastly, and certainly not least, is the condition of the global economy today. I hope you know, and I, by the way, I should probably say this, I probably should have said it earlier, but now is as good of a time as any. It brings me no delight or joy to be up here talking. I would love nothing more than to stand up here on the first Sunday in the New Year and say, Happy New Year, and praise the Lord, and God loves you. He does, but you know, everything's going to be okay. It's not. And this whole notion of, and this is why I, I said it the way I said it at the beginning before we went live, uh, Happy New Year. <laughs> How about blessed New Year? As I'm looking at what's coming, I'm thinking, this isn't too happy. <laughs> this is not good. This is really bad. You understand that the economy is on the verge of complete and total global collapse. And you know why, right? There has to be the controlled demolition I use those words for a reason, of the global governments and the global economy to usher in that final cashless digital currency, with which no man will be able to buy or sell unless they are connected to this digitally. So on Tuesday, Politico published a most alarming op-ed about how the Fed's doomsday prophet has a dire warning about where we're headed. It's a long read, but it's a good read. And what's interesting about 
this guy is. He's one of those steady eddies, right? He's not, he's not alarmist at all, except now he is. <laughs> and that's why they're kind of taking notice and paying attention. Because when a guy like this, the steady eddy, you know, just everybody, you know, calm and the voice of reason. And he's just one of those guys, that's his temperament, according to the article. But he's freaking out now. And it's kind of like, if he's freaking out, we should be freaking out too. Not we, because <laughs> we don't need to freak out, because we're going to be taken out. That's another good one too. It wasn't in my notes. So he talks about what many believe and know is coming, which is that of an imminent collapse of the global economy. And this comports with what we know to be true concerning the World Economic Forum's Great Reset. More importantly, we know this to be true concerning Bible prophecy, namely in the book of Revelation. Now, I know this is a well-known passage, especially again as of late, but I want, as I read it, I want you to, to see this through a different lens. See it through the lens of this switch slash trigger. Because wouldn't it stand to reason that in order for there to be something in place technologically that is able to track and trace every human on the planet to determine whether or not they can go into a store and buy and sell, wouldn't it stand to reason that whatever there was prior to this would have to be destroyed? Exactly. That's what's behind all of this right now. They are trying to destroy businesses. This is a controlled demolition of the global economy with this global crisis that was the trigger that flicked the switch so that they can get this show on the road, because we got to bring in this system that the Antichrist will control. Revelation 13 verses 16 and 17, it's speaking of the beast, the Antichrist also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hands or on their foreheads, so that they could not buy or sell unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So this cashless digital system will be in place. It's already in place. It's just a matter of time. If you don't mind, I'm going to refer you to two more updates that we did on this. The first of which is titled The Great Setup, which is the great set up to the great reset. It was actually over a year ago now, back in December of 2020. The second one is titled, more recently, Coming to a Head. And in that update, we looked in depth into what's known as this global social credit score system. So your ability to buy and sell will be predicated upon your, your social credit score. So if you haven't been fully vaccinated, sorry, that was, uh, woke a couple people back up. Welcome back. It's good to, good to see you. If you're not fully vaccinated, oh, right now, you know what's happening right now, right? I was thinking about this. I just, hear me out. <laughs> I always got to be careful when I go off my notes, but I have yet to meet anyone who regrets not getting whatever this is. And conversely, everyone I know who has regrets it. 
and there's no end to it. And again, I don't want to go too far into this, but we've talked about it for the last almost two years now. Can you believe it? This is an operating system that is installed in the human body to connect to the internet of things or the internet of bodies. And then once you're connected to that system, they own you and they control you. And not just control what you do, they can actually control your behavior. How's that one? Happy New Year. Let's, uh, <laughs> I have to tell you the truth, man. I have to tell you the truth. This is the truth. Okay. Here's the bottom line. I, I hope you don't tire of me saying this, but I'm going to use this word. I haven't used it for a while, I don't think. I think I just used it. Cusp. We're on the cusp. I like that word better than verge. Cusp sounds like, oh, we're on the cusp. Just on the edge of a one world religion, a one world government, and a one world economy, exactly as the Bible says. Now, you know what that means? <laughs> That's the bad news. All of that was the bad news. Here's the good news. All of this means the rapture is imminent. Any minute. Yeah. Imminent. Any minute. I know it's early, but any minute, literally any minute, imminent, can happen at any time. The time is at hand. And this is why we do these updates. This is why we end with the gospel. This is why we do the ABCs of salvation, which is a childlike explanation of salvation. What are the ABCs of salvation? Well, it's just a, a simple way to explain the gift of eternal life, paid for in full by Jesus Christ, who came and was crucified and died for us, and paid for us in full for all of our sins. He was buried, He rose again on the third day, and He's coming back again one day. That's the good news, which is what the word gospel means. Good news, your debt has been paid. Your penalty has been paid. You're free to go. Good news. That's what the word gospel means. So the A is just for simply admit or acknowledge. And this isn't a formula, by the way. It's just a simple way. But I mean, it makes sense, unless and until we acknowledge that we're a sinner, we're not really interested in a Savior, well, no need, right? The problem is, Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. Yeah, but I'm a good person. You'll never be good enough. You might be a good person. You're probably a gooder person than me. I know gooder is not a word, but, <laughs> but here's the truth. There's going to be a lot of good people in hell and a lot of very bad people in heaven, because that's not the litmus test by which we're granted access into the kingdom of God. It has nothing to do with how good you are. We're saved by grace through faith. It's not of works. We don't earn it. We don't pay for it. It's the gift of God lest anyone should boast. Could you imagine we get there and people are boasting about what they did to get there? That's not heaven. I think that's the other place. But <laughs> Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all missed the mark, which is what the word sin means. It's an archery term. You miss the bullseye. You sinned. We all miss the perfect standard of God's righteousness, and we've all transgressed and broken His law, and we've all sinned. Now what's the penalty? Oh, that's Romans 6.23. It's the death penalty. For the wages of sin is death. But, and here's the good news, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift that 
He paid for in full when He purchased us. And He gives us this gift. And it's the gift of God, which is eternal life. That's the A. Here's the B. And this is central in the sense that the A, the acknowledging, the admitting will bring you to the B, the believing in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. It could be said that it's actually simpler than ABC. It's actually as simple as B. Just believe. For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would not perish in hell for all eternity, but have everlasting life. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. That's pretty definite. It's not very tentative, is it? We're going to see it again here in a moment. This brings us to the sea. And this is always the expression of the bee. When you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth and call upon the name of the Lord. This is what Romans 10, 9 and 10 also says. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. And here's why. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And lastly, Romans 10, 13 seals the deal. It says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. This month, January, 40 years ago, I called upon the name of the Lord and was saved and never looked back. 40 years ago. I'm 40 years old. I look pretty good for 40. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Can I just share one quick but God testimony that I think will encourage you as it did me. It comes from Lori King, who writes, I proudly call myself a member of your congregation and have been a believer since the 90s. Your words pierce my heart and soul. I have shared your videos with my sister in Wisconsin, whom until recently has been a non-believer. I sent her one of your prophecy videos, and she immediately felt God's pull on her heart. Peggy finds the prophecy videos to be a little unsettling. <laughs> but also recognizes they perfectly describe the times that we are living in now. She has been watching your sermons and your prophecy videos for a few months now and asked me to pray with her. We use your ABCs of salvation as a guide, and her name is now written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Amen. Hallelujah. Happy New Year. Kind of comes full circle, doesn't it? Why don't you stand? We'll have the worship team come up. So many people, we're going to see at the rapture, that had it not been for this crisis, we may not have otherwise seen. This is a good thing. And if this needs to happen, so be it. If this is what it takes, so be it. If this is what it's going to take to bring people to Christ, bring it on. <laughs> so be it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much. Lord, I just want to, I just have this sense that, and it's not just someone that is here, but actually more that are watching online, that this has really hit hard and hit home in a good way. And so, Lord, I pray that 
you'll take it from here, as only you can and are always faithful to. And take it to the next level. For anyone who has not been serious about you, I pray that today that would change. And Lord, for anyone who has never called upon you, believing in their heart, putting their trust in you, I pray that today they would not delay, that today would be the day of salvation. Your arm is not too short that it cannot save, nor is your ear too heavy that it cannot hear. Lord, I thank You that You always hearken unto the voice of our cry. And Lord, our hearts are overwhelmed. But You, O oh Lord, You're the lifter of our heads. And we can lift up our heads knowing that our redemption draws nigh, even at the door. Lord, come quickly, Maranatha, Jesus. Lastly, Lord, for anyone that's just really discouraged and even depressed, and it's giving way to despair, Lord, I pray right now that, again, as only You can, You'll just strengthen and encourage their hearts. Lift them up, Lord. Remind them, Lord, of what awaits them. And Lord, thank You. We love You so much. In Jesus' name, Amen.